can stay right where you are if you want to. We're not gonna stop worshiping. We're gonna now worship through preaching. We're gonna worship through hearing. The word of God itself delivered by the power of the spirit is man's worship unto God. Tonight, we've, we've sensed the sweetness of his presence here. And I'm reminded of a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, until we've realized the presence of God, we've done nothing. Until we've realized the presence of God, we've done nothing. But praise God, we have realized his presence tonight. We've sensed his sweetness. And tonight, I wanna go to the pinnacle I want to go to the highest place. I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about us. I want to go up high where only he is and speak of Jesus. I want to call all of our attention to that highest seat, those bronze feet, the head like snow, the eyes that glow, the mouth and sword, Christ the Lord tonight because he's greater than the angels and he's higher than the priests and every knee will bow to his exalted seat. There's seven stars in his hand and every crown is at his feet. Complete and perfect are his ways. He's the ancient of days. The earth and sky flee from his face. He's a person, a taste, a resting place, a refuge for any case. Oh, hasten the day when my faith shall be sight. Because he is bright, my clothes become white. Oh, light, life, love, it's Jesus. Above all, that's where we're going tonight, Christ. I don't wanna talk, I don't wanna talk about anything less than this. As one ancient writer once said, a thousand problems are solved all at once when Jesus is given his proper place. A thousand problems solved in a moment when Jesus is just put in his proper place, I wonder how much of the things going on in our minds and in our lives are unnecessary because we just refuse to relinquish the crown. But as Spurgeon once wrote, let Christ wear the crown he bought with his own blood. So tonight, this is where we're gonna go is right into this wonderful man, Christ Jesus, because I haven't come with a hammer to dash you. I haven't come with a whip to whip you. I've come with honeycomb <laughs> to drip honey upon your tongue of Christ riches himself treasures above all treasures will run out of bags before we enter the treasure chest of Christ it's a great endeavor to say I want to try to exhaust the inexhaustible riches of Jesus Christ because there is actually a charm in his every feature Every aspect of his person causes you to fall in love with him. He has this way about him where he will never be otherwise than completely beautiful. In every aspect that you see, in whatever angle you want to look at him, he is heart-stealing. As St. Augustine said, he has stolen my heart and ran away to heaven with it. This is what it's like to see Jesus as he in fact is. The kind of sight in which, I mean, in the crackle of the flame, the martyrs still sung of his infinite charms. That kind of sight. The kind of sight that while you're burning at the stake, your heart sings hallelujah to the Lamb. 
The kind of sight of Christ that makes this world absolutely transient. It's transparent. You see right through it. It means nothing to you because you see him who is above all. Remember when Paul is betwixt between two, he says, if I stay here, it's good for you. I can minister to you, but I'd much rather be with Jesus. In other words, he says, to be with Christ is far better, he says. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say to go to heaven is far better. He says to be with Christ is far better. It shows us that Christianity is not a mere escaping hell and getting to heaven. It's affections for the man Christ Jesus. So that's what we want to talk about is this man, Christ Jesus. Oh, it's a, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. As Charles Spurgeon once wrote, a sermon without Christ at its beginning, middle, and end is a mistake in conception and a crime in its execution. Jesus is what we're called to preach. It's what God speaks from the sky. My son, listen to him. Christ is the final, the emptying out of all God's words. The scripture says in these last days he has spoken in son, in his son. Praise God. I believe that the more we look at Christ and the more attention we give to Christ, the more work of the Spirit is accomplished in our lives. As Andrew Bonner wrote in his diary, he says, I am more and more convinced that sanctification is performed by the Spirit by a direct looking unto Jesus moment by moment, not once or twice a day. It's a continuous looking unto Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill was asked at the end of his life, how did you make it to the end faithfully to God? His answer was looking unto Jesus. <laughs> and this wonderful word looking, it's continuous. It's a continual gaze. It's, it's the heart turning away from to. I won't look at myself. I won't look at other people. I'm going to look at him. Corey Tin Boom once said, if you, looked at the, if you look at the world, you'll be depressed. If you look inside, you'll be distressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. <laughs> There's this, this wonderful reality of looking unto Jesus. Job 26, verse 14. There's a very interesting statement that Job says. He says, oh, these are the fringes of his ways, but how little a portion have we heard of him. I think that's an indictment that can be spoken of for, the, for a large part of Christianity. Oh, these are the fringes of his ways. But how little a portion have we heard of him? I wonder if we can turn that upside down and say, oh, look at him. And he also has fringes of his ways. Let him be the fountain and everything else just be streams that flow forth from that fountain. Christ above all. There's this side of him that my heart longs to maintain. I will speak to you directly from my own personal experience in this, and I know many of you in this room can say the same exact thing. Once your eyes give attention to Christ, something shifts on the inside. The way that you see people, the way that you see yourself, the way that you see the world, the way that you see life, it just all of a sudden, though nothing has changed, everything is different begin to have a, a pure sight of him and it changes everything. I, I want to call our attention tonight to Jesus Christ. Paul writes in the first uh, chapter of Colossians, he says that we proclaim him. That's what we do. 
And then he says that we might present every man mature and complete. In other words, this is the only way a man is going to mature in God is hearing of, seeing, experiencing this man, Christ Jesus. We can delve into different area here, different area there, but the, the catch-all is the man Christ Jesus himself, the universal solution to all the problems of mankind, Jesus Christ. One man said it like this, nothing is more likely to lead to error or heresy than to focus on part rather than the whole. Jesus Christ is the whole. From beginning to end, he is the whole. How many of you have heard my message on the heavenly Solomon? Let me see your hands. So raise your hand if you have not heard it. Okay, I think that's where I wanna talk about tonight. There's a reason because I feel like this is the very sight of him that we need to have in order to have the effects of what it is to see Jesus in our lives. You know, the scripture says in 1 John that when we see him, we will be like him. That's the great day when he shall split the sky. As Robert Murray McShane said, I wonder if you've casted love glances to the clouds to see if they'd split open and let his beautiful face through today. This internal sight of Christ is like a mirror of that coming day when he will split the sky and we, we will look upon him and we will become like him changed in a moment by sight of him. There is a small version of that happening even now in your life. As you look upon him, you, be, you become changed and changed and changed by looking, by looking, by looking. And the only way to have confidence on that day when he does split the sky and return is if he's splitting the sky in your life every day. Have you seen him today? Is your life centered around looking at this man? That's the question. So when you see this person in the scriptures named Solomon, he really sticks out to me because he's very unique. As a matter of fact, some of you have read, probably all of you have read about this man, King Solomon, but he's separated from all of humanity. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in Song of Solomon, verse three, chapter three, verse 11. It says, go and gaze upon Solomon. He's calling, all, she's calling everyone to go and just give attention to this man, Solomon. And when you look at Solomon, you see he's separate from the world. Just like Samson was separated from all of humanity by his great strength. Solomon is separated from all of humanity by his great wisdom. The scripture says in 1 Kings 3 that God gave him God-like wisdom. He was endowed with a wisdom that is unmatched, unparalleled before him or after him. He is supernatural in his wisdom. It's so great that the scripture says he's given breadth of understanding. So much so that the scripture says in chapter 10, verse 3 about Solomon in 1 Kings, nothing was unexplainable to this man. Nothing. You could ask him about anything you want. The divine wisdom given to him, he could explain it to you. That's pretty incredible. This is supernatural wisdom that King Solomon has. He has such great wisdom and such endowment from God in this realm of the mind and understanding and life that nobody dared to come against his kingdom. He ruled in complete peace. The, the, the 
reputation that he had spread around the world because of how much wisdom this man had. Arrogant kings left their thrones to tire themselves to attend his seminar, we'll say. He has something that no other man had, wisdom. Not, not only this, he has a glory that is unmatched. He's actually recognized by Jews as the pinnacle of Israel. King David is called the glory of Israel in the end of 2 Samuel, the glory of Israel. But King Solomon is Solomon. He, he, Solomon is the kingdom in all of its glory. It never was higher. It never was more dominant. It was never more rich. It was never more successful. It never dominated the entire world like it did in Solomon's day. You say, Eric, you're talking about Solomon. Yes, I'm going to flip it in a moment. But we also see something very interesting about Solomon is he is entrusted by God with this divine wisdom to write the book that we use to understand the great mystery of Christ and the church, Song of Solomon. He gives us the book of wisdom. He gives us Proverbs. He gives us Ecclesiastes, which shows us that eternity is written in men's hearts, that all things are worthless, that everything's vanity. He's got this wisdom that men, to this day, they grab a hold of his statements. People say that millionaires can trace back their success to the principles found in Solomon's wisdom in the book of Proverbs. This, the, the reality of this glory that Solomon has is so unmatched. The Bible says that silver was despicable to him. That's how much riches Solomon had. You give him silver, he says, that's like dirt to me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that silver was as rocks on the ground to him. He's so rich. This is a glory that Israel had never seen before and has not seen since. It is the pinnacle of a, a, a rule of God on the planet. The scripture says that he took the gold that he had and he caked everything with gold. Even the chains that separated the rooms, he caked it with gold. Not only does it say that, it says that he put gold on top of the gold that he had. He overlaid gold with gold. That's how rich this guy is. One rabbi actually says that when Israel was sacked and the gold from Israel went to the world, that the value of gold in the world went down. That's how much gold he had. We're talking about a unparalleled, to this day, wealth, power, and peace that King Solomon had. We see this love understanding through King Solomon, where he says things like this, love is as strong as death, and jealousy demanding as a grave. We see statements that he says that even Shakespeare steals, like love sick. It was written before Shakespeare. It was by the wisdom of Solomon, which shows me something about wisdom. It always produces love. <laughs> so we have this incredible person that we're looking at, so incredible that the Bible says, all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon. All the earth. 
seeking the presence of Solomon. The queen of Sheba, she comes from the south for a long journey. Some believe it took over six months just for her to get there because she had heard of the glories of this man Solomon, the greatness of his wisdom and the, the expanse of his kingdom and the glorious uh, structure that he had built. She wanted to see it for herself because she had heard legends about it. She goes there to see it. And when she does see it, the scripture says, that she had the breath in her lungs taken from her at the side of it. She was stricken breathless by the overwhelming conviction she had never seen anything like this that King Solomon had built. He explained all her questions to her. And then she says this at the end of her visit. I had heard legends about this place, but after seeing it, the half has not been told. I say this, these things about Solomon because I wanna pull your attention to a statement that Jesus says. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus stands in front of humanity and he says this statement. He says, somebody greater than Solomon is right here. He, he, he in one moment, in one moment, he claims to be greater than the world's most unparalleled ruler. In one moment, he takes the glory of Israel and he trumps it by saying, I'm here. This moves me so much because some people would think that's very arrogant of Jesus to say that he's greater than Solomon. It's not only not arrogant, it's a high condescension for him to even liken himself to something that he created. Jesus says, somebody greater then Solomon is here. That's, that's humility coming out of his mouth, not arrogance. You say, Eric, what is it about Jesus? Well, the Bible says, John the Baptist says, one of my favorite statements of all, he who's from above is above all. Hallelujah. He came down from above. Praise God. You know, some people love Elijah. Well, Elijah went from the ground up. Jesus came from heaven down. Praise God. Yeah, Elijah, he called fire down from heaven after calling all of Israel to see it. But Jesus Christ says, I've come to bring fire upon the earth. And he calls all the earth to witness of the fire that comes down from heaven upon his head. You shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, Jesus says. Praise God. I don't know if you think about Elijah sometimes and you think about how he takes that little boy who's dead, the, the widow's boy, and he takes him upstairs into the upper room that he's staying at. He lays on top of him. He prays for him, and the boy comes back to life, and he takes the boy back down the stairs and gives it to his mother. I say sometimes to the Lord, Lord, take these dead parts of my heart into your upper room. Breathe on them, make them alive, and come down again and give them back to me alive. I wonder if you have something in your life, something in your heart that you feel is dead and cold and dry. Give it to the heavenly Elijah and he'll take it to the upper room. He'll make it alive and he'll bring it back down to you again. Praise God. I'm getting off subject. We're on the heavenly Solomon, not the heavenly Elijah. <laughs> but the Solomon had God-like wisdom. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Praise God. Yes, Solomon has breadth of understanding, but Jesus Christ created time and space, praise God. 
Yes, Solomon had such wisdom that arrogant kings left their thrones to tire themselves to attend his seminar, but a numberless multitude surround him, worshiping him night and day. To his kingdom there shall be no end, and to his glory there will be no bounds. There's a man up there, and every eye is looking at him. Praise God. There's someone greater than Solomon here, and his name is Jesus. Yes, Solomon had great glory. Yes, he had great glory. And silver was despicable in his day. But when you see the heavenly Solomon, the greatest things of the world become despicable to you too. Yes, Solomon overlaid gold with gold, but Jesus gives grace upon grace and glory upon glory and faith upon faith. Jesus is greater than Solomon, praise God. Yes, an unparalleled ruler was Solomon, but I'll tell you what, soon, the sky will split and Jesus Christ will step his feet down on the Mount of Olives and every nation will bow to this man as he reigns from the Holy Land. He is the King I am, praise God. There's someone greater than Solomon here. You know, when the Queen of Sheba sees the legend right in front of her face and her, her heart is palpitating and her breath leaves her. Maybe you're somebody that has heard of the glories of Jesus and you've heard of peace that passes the ability to be understood and you hear of joy unspeakable and full of glory and you hear on the inside a satisfaction of bread that comes down from heaven and you can drink of the river of his delights and you say, oh, could this be true? I tell you that when you lay eyes on him who is the heavenly Solomon, your breath will be taken from you. You'll be stricken breathless by the overwhelming conviction you've never seen anything like him before and your conclusion will be the half has not even been told to me of what this Jesus actually is you look at the things that Solomon writes in the book of Song of Solomon he, she even says of him that he's like a tree that she lays underneath and he feeds her with these apples of great delight praise God isn't that beautiful but the heavenly Solomon lays you underneath his shadow and he gives you the apples of himself that are sweet to your taste, praise God. You know, I, I think about the delights that there are in knowing the heavenly Solomon and my mind goes straight to people like Richard Wormbrand who's put 14 feet beneath the earth. He's put in solitary confinement in Romanian prison because he's preaching Christ. Solitary confinement, not seven hours, not seven days, not seven weeks, not seven months, seven years he's put there. And when he's finally released, he says to the people that come out when they say, man, you must have been in hell there. He says, no, hell is to be without his presence. He says things like this. We knew his caresses and we knew his kisses. What is that? That's having a relationship with and a knee that's bowed to the heavenly Solomon who is the great king bridegroom who loves you underneath his own shadow and gives unto you tastes of a world to come that are himself, praise God. I think of people like Robert Murray McShane who says, a, a calm hour with God is worth a lifetime with any man. I think of things like Andrew Bonar, when he says at the end of his life, he says, Christ is more than ever, more than ever a full heaven to me. He's a full heaven to me. Even now while I'm on the earth, I find him to be these things. You think of Samuel Rutherford who's put in prison and he dies there in prison. And when they put him in prison, he says this statement. He says, they thought 
that they were putting me into prison, but this prison is a palace to me because I'm in his presence and my chains are gold itself. <laughs> Samuel Rutherford is moved by this affliction that he's under. He dies in prison, guys. This isn't, he's not, he doesn't have his feet up on the balcony in the Bahamas with a margarita in his hand. He's in prison dying. And he writes this in his journal. When I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for God's choicest wines. I think of David Brainerd who's dying of tuberculosis. He's coughing up pieces of his lungs. He's dying, man. And he writes in his journal, probably with a red smile as he writes it. He says, an hour with God infinitely excels all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. I think of him saying as well, as he's dying, he says a half hour in God's presence makes up for all life's sorrows. That's called the heavenly Solomon who satisfies the soul who lays you underneath himself and feeds you with himself. Praise God. My heart is moved by people that have touched him. My heart is moved by those who recognize the heavenly Solomon for who he is. Charles Spurgeon once wrote this, it is worthwhile to have lived if for nothing else than to have had a half an hour's fellowship with God. I'm gonna say it again, you gotta get that one. It is worthwhile to have lived if for nothing else than to have had a half an hour's fellowship with God. Wow. That's the heavenly Solomon who caresses you. His right hand embraces you. His left hand is under your head. And he holds you close. And he revives you by kisses. Praise God. The, the, the book of Song of Solomon starts with a kiss and ends with a maranatha. He kisses you and then brings you into the experience of himself that brings you to say, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. He uproots your feet from the soil of this earth. By the sweet kisses divine, vanished time, rest in mind. He shimmers, he shines. Praise God. So I look at this and I see, yes, King Solomon was amazing. But the heavenly Solomon trumps him in every way. He, he is so high and so bright that you can't even see the earthly Solomon with a telescope. <laughs> That's how beautiful Jesus is. And not to mention, he doesn't just speak of love and he doesn't just reign on high. The scripture says that he built this kingdom, not as Solomon who built his kingdom on the blood of warriors who were led by the expert of war, his father David. No, 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 Jesus doesn't build his kingdom on the blood of others. He gives his own blood and builds his kingdom on his own blood. That's a better king. He gives himself, not another, not, a, not his own things. He doesn't give the world. He doesn't give riches or silver or gold or rubies or stuff. These are all corruptible things. No, he doesn't give a cattle on a thousand hills that he has. He doesn't give men. He doesn't give angels. He gives himself all that belongs to him, all that is near to him, all that is dear to him, his name, his fame, his credit, his reputation, his time, his strength, his service, all the comforts of life, yea, life itself. He gives his own manhood. He gives his own body. He gives his whole being over to be the propitiation for your sins. Praise God. He gave himself for us that he might deliver us. 
what is that? The scripture says that, that God swore by himself because he could find none greater. Well, Jesus gave himself because he could find none greater. See, Christ doesn't lack beauty, men lack eyes. <laughs> to look upon him and see him as he is, this is, this is life itself. You say, Eric, what, is it, what all does this have to do with my life? Well, let me just bring it home for you like this. The queen of Sheba, she came from far to just hear Solomon, just to see Solomon, just to listen to Solomon. And, and Jesus says to the people that are not listening to him and not recognizing his presence, he says, the queen of the south will stand up and testify against you one day. Someone greater than Solomon is here. I say that to say, if Christ is greater than Solomon, then how foolish do we have to be to try to live our own lives, to rule our own lives, to manage our own lives? What kind of a fool would try to take the leadership from somebody as smart as Solomon, let alone the heavenly Solomon? Who wouldn't trust Solomon with their life, let alone the heavenly Solomon? We can trust the providences and the wonderful workings of God in our lives because he's wiser than Solomon. He's greater than Solomon. He is wisdom itself. And this should produce in us trust. As the Proverbs say, I have taught you today so that your trust will be in the Lord. That's what this whole message is about, to realize who God really is and to throw off all your care and all your trust into someone who's greater than even Solomon. And to realize that Solomon had peace in his kingdom, but it pales in comparison to the peace that Christ sets up on the inside when you let him rule on the throne of your heart and you let him wear the crown in your life. This love that he has satisfies the soul, even as I have illustrated through the lives of these saints. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, this wonderful satisfaction that comes from Christ. But my heart looks at all of you tonight. This has been a wonderful conference. It's been so great. But how tragic would it be if we leave from this place and go on making our own decisions and not bringing them to the heavenly Solomon? How tragic would it be if all the world seeks the presence of an earthly Solomon, but yet we stop seeking the presence of a heavenly Solomon? What, the queen of the south says, how blessed are all those who sit underneath your counsel? She says that to Solomon. Well, how blessed are all those who sit under the wonderful counselor, almighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, praise God. I just wonder if there's something God is wanting to jar us into, a greater allowance, a greater fullness of his rule in our lives. One of my Bible school teachers used to say, wherever you lack joy, wherever you lack peace, the lordship of Christ is somewhere compromised in your life. Because the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of what you can tell me. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. What do you think that is? That's the rule of the heavenly Solomon in your life. Praise God. So you say, Eric, what's the conclusion? Well, I'll close with a story. How's that? To kind of put everything together, to point at the brilliance of Solomon, trumped by the heavenly brightness of the heavenly Solomon. See, the, the, the joys that come from the earth are earthy. They're like the earth, earthy. But the joys that come from Christ are like himself, heavenly. There isn't an item 
on the earth that transcends the smallest item in heaven, but there isn't an item in heaven that transcends the smallest measure of Jesus Christ. There's a story of a little boy. He's trying his best to get away from his shadow. I can see my shadow up here. And he's trying, twisting and turning and fighting and sweating and trying his best to get away from what he in fact is on the ground, his shadow. His father sees that he's twisting and turning and sweating and trying his best to get away from this shadow. And the father grabs him and he turns him to face the sun. And in that moment, the little boy notices the shadow is completely gone. The illustration is to point us to this. Many times we're trying to fight our way out of lust or pressure or, or some type of a mental situation that we've got going on in our minds like a depression or a, a, an anxiety or something we're, we're twisting and turning we're trying this that and the other we're trying to memorize something or, or do listen turn and face Jesus and he will cast behind you the shadow of your doubt your fear your unbelief this sin this lust this thing whatever it is it will be thrown behind you by just simply turning to look upon Jesus and see him as he in fact is and let him rule. Some people, their, their lives are so heavy, it's because they're trying to wear a crown made for a God. It's just too heavy for you to carry. Just give it to him. Just let it go. And live with it there. Take your burden to the Lord, leave it there. Praise God. Is this okay? So I guess what the charge is, is this. We've had a wonderful couple of days worshiping the heavenly Solomon, being in the presence of the heavenly Solomon, hearing from the heavenly Solomon, tasting of the glories of the heavenly Solomon. But let us leave this place living underneath the continuous rule of the heavenly Solomon, whose presence dispenses the other world into our being even while we're in this one. I'm not saying there's not gonna be trials. I'm not saying there's not gonna be temptations. I'm not saying that there's not gonna be tribulation. What I'm saying is something so much better than the things that go on in this life. And it is that Jesus Christ is better than all the things that can happen to you in this life. You can drink and eat and find all satisfaction, joy and peace in Him, no matter what goes on around you, praise God. Take it from David Brainerd coughing up pieces of his lungs, saying things like that. He infinitely excels all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. Praise God.